Dear Lord, we thank you for the gift that has been given to us, the gift of salvation that has been granted through grace and through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And Lord, as we come into this time now, we ask that you would open the eyes of our heart, that you would allow us to receive from the truth of your word. Give us ears that hear and hearts that understand. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray all of these things. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be uh, beginning in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. And this morning, uh, as we look at this text, we are continuing uh, in our study on apologetics. Apologetics. And uh, many of you may be asking, first of all, what does the word apologetics mean? Well, it's uh, giving to, it's given a reason for your faith. It probably be a very simplistic way to put put it. Uh, you know, when we go into a, a court process, uh, when you get to a court, uh, either someone is prosecuting or someone is giving a defense. Someone is giving a testimony of what has occurred, and that's what uh, apologia, the the Greek word, means. It means to give reason, to give defense, to give purpose for what it is that you say, for what it is. That you believe. Now, uh, the Bible gives multiple reasons that we should learn and engage in apologetics. Uh, the first one being here in this text right here, or one of the primary ones, be right being right here in First Peter chapter three, verse fifteen. The Bible says this: "But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope." That you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Let me read that one more time. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Also, the Bible tells us in Jude chapter three that we are to contend for the faith. The Bible tells us in Titus chapter one, verses nine through eleven that we are to refute those who oppose sound doctrine within the church. The Bible tells us that uh, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, Come, let us reason together to make our case. The, and then the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, it gives us uh, natural revelation and general revelation, that God has given us revelation and understanding we even see Jesus doing this in uh, Matthew chapter 22 when he is speaking with the Pharisees. He engages in what we would call apologetics. He defends his position and then he asks them questions regarding their faith that they cannot answer. So we see that apologetics is nothing new. It's been practiced since the early church. They are great apologists, even uh, noted as early as 100 A.D. for Christianity. So as we look at this, I think it's important that we remember that God has called us not to just love him with our hearts, not to just love him with our souls, but to also love him with our minds. I don't believe Christianity is something we should check our brains at the door with. OK, it's not more spiritual for you to be ignorant. All right. That's that's not really that that spiritual. Uh, just say, I don't know. I, I just I just believe everything. Uh, I don't know why. I have no idea why I believe all that stuff. I, I just believe it. Hey, God will honor that to a degree, particularly when we're a child, but when we're adults, we need to have reason. We need to be able to give an account for the hope, for the 
faith that we have. And that's part of loving God with our minds. Now, we're going to talk about worldviews today, and we're going to talk in just a moment uh, about what does it mean to have a biblical Christian worldview. And we'll see in just a few moments that uh, it actually does make a difference. You've heard forever, and uh, so many have done statistical studies on what difference does Christianity make in people's everyday lives. And forever we've seen the statistics that say, really, it doesn't make that much difference, quite frankly. The morality and, and the lifestyles that people engage, whether they be Christian or non-Christians, by most statistics say that it doesn't make a big difference. But interesting, George Barner, who's kind of the uh, probably regarded as the foremost authority in religious studies, found out that we may have been asking the wrong question. If you ask most people, particularly in the United States, they'll say that they're Christian. But... If you drill down further, what you'll find is most people who call themselves Christians do not ascribe to a biblical worldview. Matter of fact, only one in five of people who call themselves Christians will ascribe to what we understand as a biblical worldview. And we'll share in just a moment what that is. Now, what is a worldview? A worldview are the lens through which you see life that you interpret life, that you interpret how things operate. And, and as Ravi Zacharias says, there's basically four issues that you, you're going to look at in life. Any worldview should at least address these four issues. The first one is origins. Where did we come from? How did we get here? What are the origins of life? Did God create us? How did we get here? What are the origins? Number two, morals. How is it that we should live? What is right? What is wrong and how is that established? Number three, meaning. Meaning. What is the meaning of life? Is there purpose in life? Was it just, did it all occur randomly? And is there no meaning? Or is there purpose in life that we exist here? And is there purpose by God Almighty that we should serve? And number four, destiny. Where is it we're going? What occurs at the end of life? Is there an afterlife? Is it reincarnation or does life simply stop? Is are, are, do things simply stop and cease to exist as the atheist believes? Or is there an afterlife? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Those are all questions to be answered by our worldview. We all have worldviews. Now, I want you to not laugh at me, but I want you to just recognize that we all have worldviews and we see it through different lens. If you were raised as a Christian, then uh, regardless of whether you've adopted that faith, you will typically start to look through those set of lens. If you were raised as a Buddhist or as a Hindu or as a uh, atheist, you'll look through those lens. Um, you know, if if I am uh, a pantheist, there's basically three major world religions uh, that almost everything can be classified under, and really about 85% of the world uh, is classified into one of these three groups. Number one would be that uh, of theism, and uh, there are four groups that are in theism. First of all, there obviously is Christianity, but there's also Judaism. The, difference, the primary difference between Judaism and Christianity, of course, is that Jews do not believe in the person of Jesus Christ, do not accept the New Testament. So they simply uh, take the Old Testament, don't believe that Christ is the fulfillment of those prophecies and that he is the Messiah, certainly don't believe that he is God in the flesh. So big difference. Uh, then there also would be uh, what we call pantheism, and certainly Hinduism and Buddhism would all go there. Uh, and it's simply the belief 
that God is a force, that it's an energy. We all have God in us. We are all, in fact, gods to some degree, and uh, that it's simply an, an energy force. And uh, we find our lives and find our goodness through constant reincarnation. Uh, then some believe uh, in deism that, that, yes, there was a God and he wound the, the world up kind of like a clockmaker and set it forth and he's long gone. But then there's theistic Christianity. And uh, that's what perspective we're taking today. So if I'm, uh, and then of course atheism as well, uh, if I'm a, if I am a, am a pantheist, and I believe that everything around me is God. God's in the trees, God's in me, God's a part of everything. And we simply need to evolve in understanding our kind of godness, so to speak. Uh, then I'm going to look at everything through those lens. Don't laugh at me. I'm going to look at everything through those lens right there. I'm going to see in that manner. I'm going to think, well, you know, in my next life, I'll do better with that. Matter of fact, that person over there, the reason they're sick and suffering, it's because they probably had bad sin. They had bad karma. They, they need to just let them get through that on their own. That's kind of karma's working its way out. And we'll start to see it through those lens. Or if I'm an atheist, I'll just say, well, there's no, there's no chance. I mean, excuse me, there's no purpose. There's no reason. There's no rhyme. Uh, it doesn't matter. Bad things happen, good things happen, it has nothing to do, it's just all random chance. There is no real purpose uh, for mankind. Uh, when we die, it's all over, there's no God. And I'll look through those lens and I'll interpret everything in life in that manner. You know, there's, there's another position, though, that, that we found that is probably more popular than any of these. And it's, this, it's a position called syncretism. Now, what is syncretism? Syncretism is this. It's basically the borrowing and taking of different worldviews and just kind of cultivating them all into what you want it to be. So, in other words, many people will say, I'm a Christian, but they would say, but I don't accept certain tenets of Christianity. Like, I don't believe the Bible is necessarily all true. I don't believe that Christ uh, is the only way. I don't believe that uh, Jesus was God in the flesh. I don't believe a lot of different things that we would traditionally called biblical Christianity. But I do believe in reincarnation. And I do believe that um, there are multiple ways and multiple different methods by which we might ascertain God. That's kind of syncretism or pluralism. We just kind of start borrowing and, and just making our own religion. And Barnes has found that's actually what, why these statistics are so jaded because most people who call themselves Christian are actually syncretists. They don't take a biblical Christian view. So what is a biblical Christian view? Well, let's look at that for just a minute. What does it mean to biblical Christian worldview? And again, only one out of five people who call themselves Christian would ascribe to these five things and to these two practices. And here's what they are. Number one, the Bible is the moral standard and absolute moral truth exists. The Bible is the moral standard and absolute moral truth exists. If you're an atheist, you don't believe necessarily that absolute truth exists. It depends on the situation, depends on the culture, depends on uh, what's going on. Um, so there, it's kind of not something that actually exists. And actually, if you're a pantheist, pantheist it's an illusion. Evils an illusion. Truth is an illusion. Uh, life is illusory in effect. Number two, the Bible is 
totally accurate in all that it teaches. The Bible is totally accurate in all that it teaches. And this we're talking again about a biblical Christian worldview. Number three, God is all knowing, all powerful and rules the universe. God is all knowing, all powerful and rules the universe. Number four, salvation cannot be earned by our deeds. Uh, It can only be received by a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We experience it by grace through faith. Again, these are four tenets of a biblical Christian worldview. And number five, Jesus lived a sinless life and was God in the flesh. Jesus came upon this earth. He lived a sinless life and was literally God in the flesh. Now, that's five components of a biblical worldview that most people who call them Christian, themselves Christians, will say, I I at least struggle with one, two, three, or four of these. And then there's two practices. The two practices are this, that I deem a relationship with Christ as my top priority in life, and I've placed my faith in Him. I deem the relationship with Christ as a top priority, and I've placed my faith in Him. And number two, my main objective in life is to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. So my main objective in life is this, to love God with all my heart, soul, and mind. That would, in some sense, and there's, there's more that we're going to look at in July. We're going to get in a little bit more into doctrines, what every Christian ought to understand about faith and uh, seven key doctrines that are really the tenets of the faith. But today, uh, we're just going to abbreviate and, and put it into these categories right here. Again, only 20% of people in America would say, I ascribe to these seven ideas. So, with that being said, and with that... Uh, being uh, understood, there are also some other words we ought to understand a little bit as we continue to dive in here. The first one is the word of eminence. What does eminent mean? Now, if I'm a pantheist, I I certainly know what eminence means. It simply means this, that God is in the presence of man and is connected to mankind. So God is all around and he's connected. But if I'm a pantheist, I don't believe that our next word is he's transcendent. He's transcendent. And what does transcendent mean? Well, transcendent means this. God is outside of time and space, and he is supreme beyond human understanding. In other words, he is outside of time and space. He is in control. He's all-knowing and all-powerful. And he chooses to engage in human life, in mankind. Okay, does that make sense? So if it's imminent, he's just around and he's in everything. That would be pantheism. Atheism was would I believe that God is not imminent nor transcendent? If I believe in deism, I believe that he's transcendent, but he's not personal. Now, remember what deism is. Deism simply is that I believe that there's a God and that he made this earth, but he's no longer engaged. So what does biblical Christianity believe? We believe that he's imminent. Yes, he is ever-present. Number two, he's transcendent. He's above all things. He's outside of time and space and in control. He is supreme but also that he is personal. He has chosen to be personal with us through the person of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So what is atheism? Well, let's talk about that for just a moment. Uh, what 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 are the origins, or excuse me, what are the concepts of a worldview of atheism? Well, number one, that uh, simply human life is something that was uncreated matter that has evolved. Human, the human problem in life is education. If we could all simply be educated, that would fix the majority of life's problems. 
Jesus was simply a man, and life ceases at death. There is no eternal purpose for man, and everything has occurred by chance. And truth is relative. So that's atheism. What is pantheism? Well, pantheism would be this, that, uh, that God, in a sense, is each of us. And that, again, as we talked about earlier, that the main problem in life is that we don't understand our deity. We've not allowed it to evolve, and we've not worked off enough of our infirmities, so to speak. Pantheism simply looks at the universe as continual, existing, and that we are all a part of that process. As one pantheist put it this way, if I had to define my faith in one line, in one line it would be this. We are all a part of the problem. We're all a part of the solution. As opposed to Christian theism, we're all certainly part of the problem, but Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the solution through knowing him and through letting him impact our lives. Let's talk about what biblical Christianity is for just a moment. We shared a couple of things there. And what difference does it make? Well, first of all, we know this, that God exists. If you have your Bible, turn with me, uh, beginning in Genesis chapter 1. And this is where you see a major difference in the three major world religions right here. Uh, the Bible addresses in chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says this, In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Uh, pantheism would say, you know, that we've all existed in some nature. Uh, atheism would say there uh, absolutely, probably, uh, the universe has just always existed to some degree. Okay, there, there, there may have been some kind of charge or some kind of beginning, but... In reality, the universe has always existed. But in the beginning, God, number two, created. So God is the one who has brought about creation, the heavens and the earth. And then if we skip down to verse 27, the Bible tells us that God made man in his own image, Imago Dei, that God has created us. He said, let us make man in our image, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So it was intended that we might be personally involved with God Almighty. Well, what difference does it make that I believe that God has always existed, that He is supreme, that the person of Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, that He came and lived and dwelt upon the earth, that He lived a perfect life, that He took our sins upon Him, that He died upon a cross, He was placed in a grave, and three days later He rose again. What difference does it believe that I believe the gospel, I believe the truth of Scripture, I believe these basic principles and elements, and I enact them? Well, I'll, here's what Barna said. Uh, and simply, I am reading statistics. Statistics for those who ascribe to a biblical worldview, to a biblical Christianity, what difference does it make? Well, here's what Barna found out. That people who ascribe to a biblical Christian worldview are 31 times less li likely to cohabitate. 18 times less likely to engage in drunkenness. 11 times less likely to commit adultery. 15 times less likely to engage in gay sex. 12 times less likely to engage in consistent profanity. 9 times less likely to participate in porn. And 99% less likely uh, to endorse abortion. 
Um, you can say what you want, regardless of how it makes you feel. Uh, it, it, the evidence shows us that when we engage in a biblical Christian view of life and we begin to practice that, it makes a difference. Now, in syncretism, it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. So the question we have to ask are the teachings of Christ, are the teaching of scriptures true? Will I receive them? Will I accept them? Will I let God transform my life and trust him with my life? It's interesting. I was reading an article and I have it here somewhere uh, by Anne Rice. Uh, many of you are familiar with Anne Rice, who has uh, who was an she has written all the vampire novels. She uh, accepted Christ and became a, a believer uh, about seven or eight, nine years ago. And they were interviewing her and, and talking to her about questions they had. And they said, um, well, what was it that made you come to faith? What was it that made you think? Because you've been a self-declared atheist pretty much all your life. How did you come to this point? And she said, you know, from, you know, she said, I've always heard that when you have this major catastrophe in your life and this major issue in your life, and, you know, then you'll want to reach out for God. But that really didn't happen for me. She said, I just began to search and to seek. And when I gathered all the evidence, I came to that place where I said, God, I love you and I want you. It was at that, at that point that I experienced Christ for the first time, that I experienced the love and the understanding of God, and it has changed my life. A prominent Jewish radio commentator, uh, Dennis Prager, was once engaged in a uh, broadcast debate with, a, with an atheist named Jonathan Glover. Glover was arguing religious beliefs were largely irrelevant and immaterial in the scientific world. Prager listened for a long time, and then he said this. He said, Professor Glover, if you were stranded at midnight and an hour, and you were suddenly to hear the weight of pounding footsteps behind you, and then you saw ten burly young men behind you walking up to you, would it make a difference in how you felt and what you believed if you knew they had just come out of a Bible study? And he goes, I, it would. He said, it, it would definitely make a difference if I knew. And he said, well, then you can't say that everything is irrelevant. You can't simply say that it's based on uh, just random chance, and you can't say that it makes no impact. For even in you, you see that it, make, it would make you feel differently if you knew they had just walked out of a Bible study. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means this. What will we do with the person of Jesus Christ? What is it that determines your worldview right now? Is it what I feel, what I think? Bible tells us all through the book of Judges, as a matter of fact, we see it 42 times in the Old Testament, this phrase. And it always leads to the destruction of the culture in that nation, and particularly the nation of Israel, and it's, it's, it's giving in this regards. And everyone simply did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone decided what their moral standard was. Everyone decided what their own worldview was. And then you see the decline, the pulling away from God, the pulling away from truth. This morning, I want to invite you to experience a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you to fully receive him. Sometimes we receive parts of Jesus. We receive labels from Christianity. But have you ever received the person of Jesus Christ and his transformation? As Anne Rice said, I've seeked, I've sought, and I've came to the reality this is truth. And God, I receive you. 
Jesus, I receive you. I recognize the truth of your word. Have you ever done that? I invite you to do that today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time together this morning. Thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. God, I pray this morning for anyone who's not received you as their Savior, that they would receive you as Lord and Savior this morning. God, I know it's easy for us to to engage and to come up with our own system, our own worldview. And there are things in your word that aren't very palatable. They're not very easy. Uh, They don't fit in our culture, and they're very difficult. But God, I pray that you would help us in our unbelief. I pray that as we seek you and search for you with all of our heart, as we choose to love you with our minds as well as our hearts and soul, Lord, that you would begin to transform our hearts. God, I pray that you don't expect us to have everything worked out, but you receive us exactly where we are in our position. And then, Lord, as you have saved us, You allow the Holy Spirit to begin the process of transformation as we submit to you. So if there's one here today who's never received you, if there's one here who's in process, I pray that you would draw them by the power of your spirit this day. And we will give you the glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.